0: of Inside the Recording Studio. My name is Jody Whitesides and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, Jody. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm getting geared up to go under the knife tomorrow.
1: Uh Oh, that sounds dramatic, but I know it's good things coming. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And not looking forward to it at the same time.
1: (laughs) Sure. Looking forward to having whatever it is fixed and not having it fixed at the same time. Something like that, right? Something to that extent, yes. Yeah. But it'll be good results, I'm sure. You'll be fine.
0: So far, from what I understand, yes.
1: Very cool. Yeah. So we have something a little special
0: today, don't we? as far as I know, but you're going to announce this speciality. What is it?
1: Ooh, well, today we have another guest with us. And today we have a gentleman that has worked with a long list of artists doing either front of house, monitor mixing, teching for all the stars. And today we have Ray Grunval with us. Thanks for being here, Ray. Oh, well, thank you for having me.
0: Yes. Welcome to our little podcast slice of the world. Well, I am.
2: A, I'm glad to be here. Great. Yes. Good. All right. <laughs> I want to well, do like a little coming. dancing <laughs> monkey dance, Yay. right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: no. So, so what we thought we would do today is because you work primarily in the live world. Yes. Of of music, so we thought it would be interesting to talk about not only your experiences of things that you've learned and hopefully some fun war stories here, but also to kind of highlight some differences in that world as compared to
2: in the studio where we're recording and it's, hopefully... it's It's definitely two different worlds.
0: In other words, it's two different beasts is what he's saying.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we should start from the beginning maybe you know do a quick run through what made you get into this business and give us a little bit of your background
2: uh well the background is i played guitar in a band i we couldn't afford to rent a sound system so i went to the library for you kids there's a building with books (laughs) and uh and uh i uh Got a bunch of books and learned how to build speakers. And uh, wait, wait, wait. D- you learned to build speakers like from scratch? Yes, that's how I built my first sound system.
0: You built your own cones, your own wired like little things and metal things to hold the cones. No, and no, everything? no.
2: I no, I would buy those and oh, build okay. the actual the actual enclosure. Oh gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the actual speaker. But although uh, you
0: could probably learn that at the library as
2: well. Yes, you probably could. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then it just snowballed from there and I got a couple of tours and started doing sound for Swedish heavy metal bands. And then I moved to Los Angeles and met Chris. That was downhill jump. from there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was down. <laughs> it seems yeah, like an awful
0: it- long jump that happened from when you learned to put these enclosures together to... Getting tours, there must be something in between that happened
2: well, yeah well, I was sweeping floors and cleaning cables and learning how to solder and all that mm. there was there was a couple of years of a learning experience working for a local sound company in Sweden, you mean in Sweden guy okay. and then yeah, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, I got a job working at various nightclubs and that's when I started guitar teching and things of that nature and and then I moved to Florida, and from there on, it's been worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. I just okay. I ran, ran into a bunch of people who knew and other people, and then it just – it's been a journey for 30 years.
1: <laughs> well, one thing to, to take away from that just initially there, I mean, you're obviously skipping steps in the in the name of moving the story forward here, but it sounds to me like – you got into this relatively early and i'm assuming this was a passion for you how you were able to sort of go from one gig to the next it was one of those things where you do well enough in a certain situation and then by word of mouth somebody else needs another guy and you get that gig and now there's another you know chain of of references so so
2: basically when it really started was when i moved to florida i got a call from it's the bass player who was also the lighting guy at the nightclub that i worked in la Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: he was in a band and they were on tour and they fired their guitar tech (laughs) <laughs> as, as you, you do, do. <laughs> yes of <Yeah>. course <laughs> so they they call he called me up and he said hey can you come to louisville kentucky and finish up this tour i'm like uh ah, sure i don't know much about guitar checking but <laughs> <laughs> well all you have to Let's- do is well, you pick up the guitar you make sure it's got strings
0: on it you hand it to the guitar player and say here you go
2: yeah, and it's clean. <laughs> right.
0: So, so I, of course, make yeah, sure so it's I, in tune.
2: Yeah. And then, so on that tour, the uh, front of house guy that we had and the drum tech for the headliner happened to live in St. Pete, Florida, where I just moved to. So Ooh. I didn't know, I didn't know anybody. And then we just started talking. It's like, oh, you live in St. Pete too? So when I got back to St. Pete, they called me up. And they said, you want a job at a local sound company? I'm like, well, it would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And the the manager for that sound company happened to be Survivor's front of house engineer. Well, there you go. So so he goes, I need a guitar tech for Survivor. Can you come out and guitar tech for Survivor? And then that lasted five years. Oof. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so was it, because you were... Working for Frankie then, right? Frankie Sullivan, right? Of, Frankie of Sullivan, Sullivan. Yeah. yes. W- was that sort of like your first big ticket, so to speak, or was it?
2: It was my, yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I, I can't call doing Bang Tango in L.A. or Kidney Thieves being the big ticket, but Survivor was the big ticket because with Survivor I met – we did so many shows with, like, Night Ranger and Starship, which I ended up doing f- monitors and front of house for. Yeah. Because because I met them through Survivor. So it's all word of mouth. It's who you meet, who you talk to. It's... Who you drink well
0: with, who you can talk food with. <laughs> it's more food than where,
2: where we don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,
1: okay, but but then you're... Sort of long list. I mean, I'm just going to throw off a couple of names here, I'm, and I'm mis- I'm leaving out a bunch. I'm sure, but well, the,
0: he's got an interesting first name that he just kind of threw out. Bang Tango. I've actually yeah, yes. heard
2: of that band. I don't know oh, yeah, why, they, but I've heard of them. They were they were big in the uh, what early mid '80s. Okay. I can't remember their big hit anymore, but... Do you know Danny Gill, the guitar player from Hurricane Alice?
1: Heard of him, yes. <laughs> he was one of the instructors at MI, uh, he, at
2: GST. Yeah.
0: Oh! Yeah. That's probably how I know Danny Gill. Or at least I've yeah. heard of him because he probably came and did some sort of special come sign up and have a one-on-one with Danny I, You know what? I'd be willing to bet in my storage locker of stuff is... Danny Gill handouts from
1: Open Counseling? Open you know, Counseling anything? with yeah. Danny
0: Gill. I'm sure I have one of those. So yeah. that's probably how I met that guy. Right. Gotcha. But, but anyway, okay, so, continue on. Yeah, I'm, so you you're yeah.
1: so word of mouth keeps happening. And this at some point leads to I'm not gonna well, I'm gonna run off a list here, but you worked for Arch Enemy, you've been out with Opeth, I'm on a yeah. Marth, Hammerfall. So is there any Swedish metal bands that you haven't worked with at this point? <laughs>
2: <laughs> in In Flames.
1: Oh, In Flames. Yeah. yeah, they're they're still on the list for you to to work. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I've, I've I've done shows with them. I've never worked for them.
1: No, I'm sure there's another long laundry list of bouncers that you've done one offs with and festivals and things like that. Of course. Yeah, but,
2: I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I I toured with Dark Tranquillity. Uh, The Haunted At The Gates Sister Sin and then a bunch of English bands like Venom Cradle of Filth yeah and Thin Lizzy for a long time you worked for Thin Lizzy? yeah wow I was Scott Scott Gorham's guitar tech fun yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. no 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 it is not fun so you've been around you've been
1: around for a little bit then and You made a big leap there when you said, "Well, I started out as a guitar player, and then I started building speakers, type of thing." But I know you well enough, so I know that you—you know—you were and still are. You're a a fine guitar player. But what made you sort of shift gears there and go into that, where you—you know—because you were playing here in LA, and you were out. You guys started getting a bit of a following your band there. But you made a shift that makes it sound like a, a purposeful thing to go into more of the the engineering or the front of house or monitor kind of career path. What was that decision like and what, what led up to that?
2: Well, the decision for that was more like I just, it, it was just hard to work with other people on a creative level. Oh, I was about to say,
0: hard yeah. to work with other people. It's like isn't the whole no. concept no. of front of house and monitoring working with other people too? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> no, but I, I it was just the, the creative level, and I was we just I just enjoyed more doing sound, yeah, and and fixing guitars,
1: right? So it of, was something like it sounds like it was one of those things where you know one was a little bit steadier as you could get paid better and which is less friction kind of going down that road rather than trying to yeah, exactly. be the, the rock star type of thing and yeah and yeah I mean it's it's it, it,
2: when you, when you pay your guitar tech more than you're getting paid, <laughs> there's, some, there's something wrong there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I can I can understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's probably a lot of people out there that can understand that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I mean,
2: I can tune my own guitar. It just looked cool to have a guy there. And I was like, wait a minute. But that's what Danny Gill, when he first asked me when I was taking guitar lessons from him Mm -hmm. he was like hey can you come out and tune my guitars and help me out with my guitar rig and i'm like you can make money doing this (laughs) (laughs) all right he's like i'll give you 50 bucks and i'm like i'm there per show or per week or per month (laughs) (laughs) per show there you go Well All of right. those
0: of, of, of the of the three things that you have mentioned so far that you've been working for in the industry on a monetary long time basis, being front of house mixer, monitor mixer, and guitar tech, is there one of those three jobs that you prefer more than the others? I would say front of house. Front of house. Yeah. And the specific reason behind that would be?
2: I I can be I can be creative but not be part of the band. Like they don't hear what I'm really doing. I can do my own delay cues, and I could I could be a little bit more. You know, I could add on my own reverb to the drum kit. And with with hammerfall, they're like, we, we can still hear your... <laughs> we, we can we can still hear race. Or what did they say? They said something like. Race delay from the lead vocal is still going in when the headliner is going on stage. Because nice. <laughs> I, I used to have like a massive 80s heavy metal delay nice. on the lead vocal. And it, but I could be creative that way. Sure. But if you mix monitors, especially if you mix in air monitors, it's all what the band wants. Like you have no say in nothing. Sure. And the guitar tech, and obviously, you're just that guy's, you're the guy that takes care of that guy. Mm-hmm. And you do anything he wants you to do. Right. Uh, to a point. <laughs> sure. Go get me coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've I've, I've I've seen it all. I've seen our, I, I saw our drum tech when I was, I was Survivor. I'm like, where did Damon go? And he's out at the beer tent buying <laughs> beer for the drummer because we couldn't have any beer backstage. But the drummer needed a beer, so he had to run out in the festival. This is a cornfield festival. He had to run out to the front gate, get a wristband to show that he's 21 to buy beer, (laughs) and then run to the beer garden, buy a beer, and then run back up on stage. And it's like, it took him like 20 minutes. Wow. That's (laughs) a long time to get a beer. Yeah, but that's what the drummer wanted. And it was like, "That's, that's, that's what you do. I mean, I've. So what you're saying is that Spinal Tap is real. (laughs) (laughs) Spinal Tap and Bad News. For all you kids who haven't seen Bad News, watch Bad News. That's a new one for me. What about Anvil? Oh, Anvil. I've seen them many times.
0: Uh, Well, of course, they still exist, but they had that movie about them. How They were kind of like the godfathers of modern metal.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, so Front of House is your... That's where you're passionate, at least at the time of taping. I'm assuming this is a little bit of a fluid situation because the job at hand has to be very different depending on who you're working for. And, you know, we we shouldn't necessarily go into people that are not always that nice to to work for that that's kind of uncalled for. But do you feel like there have been, let's say, certain artists that you've worked for that has just been really, really smooth and less friction generally that, that you've worked for
2: and yes yeah there's it but it's been quite a few of them that uh it's 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 just a joy to wake up in the morning and when you the difference between a recording studio, which is what you guys mostly talk about and a, a tour bus is <laughs> is completely different of course' because you're twelve people or If you're on a European bus, you're 16 people. Smashed in like sardines. Yeah. And you live on top of each other. You use the same bathroom. You got to wait for that guy to wait for that guy to wait for that guy. And you're on top of each other. And if you don't like some of them, it's, it's the worst. Like you're just wishing your life away. You just want that tour to be over, so you can collect that paycheck and go home and start another tour with another band.
0: (laughs) Well, you know that kind of reminds me of what is it? The Far Side is the name on that cartoon. It is Raymond. It is Raymond. (laughs) So did he get that from you?
2: (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a brilliant. First time I saw that cartoon, and it was even like he he had his glasses on. It's like that. That's Ray. (laughs) I know that
2: guy. You know? Yeah. No, so I mean, if, like, when you're on tour, it's it's so different from the recording studio because the recording studio is more like you, it's a nine-to-five job. You go mm-hmm. in and you you record, and then you go home and you go to your hotel or whatever. But on a tour bus, you're stuck with those guys. And if you had a bad day, that's going to stick with you until the next day. And then you wake up and you'd be like, ah, I don't want to be with this guy. I- <laughs> But, but you still got to work with them because you got nine more weeks.
1: Yeah, you just got to keep everything going along and, and yeah. nobody so, telling but, you. But, but, and
2: so. I, I got to say, like, 80% of the bands that I toured with has been a pleasure to work with. That's good. It, That's that like 80-20 of- rule. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know there was one, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yes.
0: 80% of your business comes from 20% of the people or something of that nature. But I'm making a long stretch of saying 80, 20 when you're saying 80% of the bands that you've worked with are good, 20% yeah. are bad.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, and then it's also what you make out of it. You, you know, you can, you're not going to get along with all, well, it'll be 12 people with the bus driver. Just don't piss
0: off the bus driver, right? <laughs> no,
2: that's 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 your number. There's two people you, for all you guys out there who want to go out on tour and do touring, audio. Two people you need to be friends with: the bus driver and the merch guy. <laughs> because it's one of these Swedish bands. They told me, I think it was a Mona Mart, The merch guy makes me money. You cost me money. That's a good point. (laughs) And and the bus driver is the guy that when you wake up in the middle of the night and you need to go number two, which you can't do on a bus, he's the one who can drive by every single gas station or (laughs) rest stop and be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot." Oh Oh, now. could you imagine pissing
0: off the bus driver to the point of where you are like having to hold a shit?
2: (laughs) Yes, that's I've seen it happen. Oh, that's that's awful. Yeah, Oh, and that's why the first thing I do is just introduce myself and the first night I'll sit up in, in the jump seat and talk to the bus driver all night cause, and make sure they got like, you want coffee? Do you want something to eat? Do you need a sandwich? I'll I'll, I'll take care of you. And then- <laughs> Can I get you some porn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> number one rule, always make friends with the bus driver.
0: And hire great merch people apparently is number two.
2: Well, you just become friends with them because when you get stuck in Russia and you live in Florida and you forgot that, oh, shoot, it's snowing outside and it was sunny in Florida when I left, so I only brought shorts and T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> the merch guy is going to take care of you. <laughs>
0: Nice. These are things you don't think about in a recording studio situation at Exactly. All.
2: So now, now, now you get a free hoodie and a long you know, some more t-shirts. But you're still wearing shorts. But you're still wearing <laughs> shorts, snow. yes. <laughs> right.
0: this,
2: I'm, and I'm speaking from experience here. So. Lovely.
1: Awesome. All right. So we're starting to get a little bit of a vibe here what life on the road can be like. Let's talk a little bit more about the job now, maybe. So, you know, differences between live sound and in the studio. What do you think are some of the biggest differences that, that, you know, there's several obvious ones, right? But, But what do you think are some of the differences that somebody who, let's say, somebody coming from, a studio recording engineering background who might get an opportunity to do front of house for a local band or something what are some of the things that you think are are the biggest differences of how you treat things
2: well the number one thing is you got to be fast right because because you don't have to unless you're touring with like Metallica or you carry your own mixing consoles. If you're just walking into a situation to a nightclub and you're using house gear. Yeah. And and you got fifteen minutes to get this show rolling, you just gotta be fast. Yeah. And 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 you have to cut corners a little bit. Like the other day I was down in Florida, we we played a small little nightclub and we had literally like 15 minutes to hook up a whole PA system. It's plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> that's the that's just...
0: standard turnaround time in Los Angeles between bands. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> Why? No, no, not when you not when the the trailer's sitting there with a PA system inside of it and you got to build a whole PA. Jesus. I mean, it, it's not like it's an install. It's this is like from scratch. That's pretty uh, brutal. Yeah, it was it was not fun at all. And I'm I'm looking at the drummer. I'm going, I first of all, I've never seen this system. (laughs) You can't intimate that to the band.
0: (laughs) I I did. Oh no.
2: Well, I mean, they knew I was. I I didn't know that. I'm like, I don't. Nothing is labeled. I just looked at the drummer. I'm going. Today, you just get kick, snare, and hat. That's it. Until the first set is over. Then the second set, I'll put up the next (laughs) mics. But we got to get started because we're already running late. And the drummer just looked at me and he's like, yeah, no problem. I don't care.
0: That's a good drummer. Yeah. Hire that guy again.
2: Yeah. (laughs) As long uh, as he can
0: keep time anyway.
2: Oh, no, he was great. That's the the difference between studio and and live. It's if something goes wrong, you got to fix it right away. Yeah. It's not like, uh, let's go to lunch and we'll take care of that snare drum after lunch. That's not going to happen,
1: right? So, what about you mentioned also possibly cutting corners? Now, I'm imagining that that becomes in that situation. That's that's the nature of the beast, right? Unless you're working for Stadium Act, or we're talking again here bigger budgets. Whether it's actually time to sort these things out, either in sound check or pre-tour, right? You're working all these things out. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so what are the first things that you generally think about when you're, on an average night, you're, you're getting there, things are, let's say that in the fantasy world, everything is labeled and actually mic'd up properly. <laughs> so what's the first, what's your plan of attack, so to speak, when, when you start, you know, getting ready on the check?
2: if we get a sound check
1: yeah we're uh, talking about a utopian situation here right yes
2: <laughs> so if, if, if you get a sound check the first thing I'll do is I always tune the PA I want to listen to the sound system to something that I'm familiar with and uh,
1: okay that's interesting
2: like when I was out with Starship I would always play the same song every day because it was it wasn't a Starship song Never played a, a song from the band that you're working for. <laughs> but everybody's like, normally, everybody would play like Steely Dan. That's very popular, which right. I I don't believe in that. I'd rather listen to a song that's more appropriate to the band that you're working for. Mm. If I'm going to mix a death metal band in a small nightclub in Detroit, I'm not going to listen to Steely Dan. What about Peter Gabriel? <laughs> On distortion, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: right. Okay, so, so the reason you're doing that, it would be essentially the same mindset, just so that you know what the room sounds like so you can act accordingly because you're intimate with this song and you know, and you say, oh, there's... A boominess going on in this room at exactly 60 cycles or whatever. So I gotta watch my low end, or there's a spike somewhere in 1.5K that is gonna get out of control, or yeah, that, that exactly. kind of thing. So, okay, so you yeah. know what you're working with, what the yeah, hall sounds I, like.
2: Yeah, and then this is a song that I've been listening to. I listen to it in my headphones so on the airplane, I listen to it in my car, I listen to it in all different situations. So, I know what it's supposed to sound like. Okay. And I'm very familiar with this song. It could be any song. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you're familiar with the tone of the song or, and all the EQing and all that. And I can EQ that in a heartbeat, like instantly. I know exactly what it's supposed to sound like. It doesn't matter what the sound system is. It could be a million-dollar sound system or it could be a $2,000 sound system. Mm-hmm. I can make that band sound the way they're supposed to sound, because I know that song and I know what if that song sounds good I know my mix is going to sound good hopefully I have a digital console with the USB ports I can just pop in the mix from last night and then right we just and go from, from there, there. Type of thing. Yeah. yeah and then with Hammerfall we did uh, virtual sound checks so I recorded the night before okay and then I could plug that into the mixing console the whole console turns into the whole band without the band even being there. Wow! Yeah, so I can mute and unmute every channel. I can EQ the whole thing. I can I can basically mix the whole band without the band being on stage from, from the from,
0: from the night before. <laughs> Sounds like you need like the holograms. You do yeah. a hologram well, tour. Well, well, with a front of house guy, and that's it.
2: Well, well, here's the funny thing. It's it, I was up on stage micing up when we were out on the last tour and all of a sudden i hear the show from last night blasting through the pa uh oh and here's pontus sitting there mixing <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like i'm like oh snap well if there was anybody else he would have lost a finger <laughs> but I I can't do that to Pontus because he knows what he's doing.
0: Of course, and he probably <laughs> was making his bacon flavored tomato pasta sauce at the same <laughs> yeah, time, right? Exactly. Yeah, and a frappuccino, <laughs> and you will love it.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. So I mean that that type of technology. I mean it's amazing, and where you're hinting at that is in a live situation, essentially the same use as you might do in a recording situation where you use a reference mix as you're mixing. You yes. know what, what that's supposed to sound like. So if you get it to sound in the ballpark there, your your job is, you know, halfway done, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. So,
0: and with that, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsors.
1: And we're back. What are we talking about next with Ray here, Chris? Well, one thing I would like to ask is we talked about a very similar use of essentially using like a reference mix to, to get the sound of the room in this case for, to help you with, with dialing in the band. Now, what about processing on things? Because I remember watching you one one night when you were out with a certain band and I was, well, let's not use the word shocked, but I was taking notice to your <laughs> very judicious use of EQ on things like toms and on the drums. And I also noticed that you hardly were using, if any at all, any compression on drums and things. How is that different for you in your experience of live or or as opposed to in the
2: studio? I, I try not to use, especially on drums, I'm very hard on my EQ on drums, mm-hmm. but only on certain things like the, like my kick drum and my toms, because I, especially doing heavy metal, you want that attack. You, you, right? You don't want you don't want the boom. You just want the you want that 4K, just smacking you in the face.
1: And that's just for, for so that it would poke out when you know there's a full house, hopefully, and the band is playing at a hundred decibels, right? So Yeah. Right. OK. But
2: I hardly use any. I use compression on a snare drum. That's about it. Yeah. And and then maybe every once in a while. With Starship, I put the drums into what we call a VCA, which mm-hmm. is basically a subgroup. Yeah. I would put a compression on that. OK. That's about it. I mean, I, I just don't like compression. I like it to, to breathe. Right. <laughs> and I, I learned that from mixing. I, I learned that from mixing in-air monitors, because if you put too much compression on it, it just sounds boring. But if you let it breathe and the drum kit breathes and you can hear the overheads and the overheads are picking up the guitar amp, the in sounds so much better. to me.
1: Yeah. OK. So what about similarities, though, when it comes to that? What, what are some of the things that you still might do?
2: Uh, well, gates, obviously. Okay. I, I, I use a lot of, like, hard gating. Okay. Uh, maybe harder than you would do in a studio.
0: Okay. Well, who uses gates in a studio? Man, you go with strip silence. What are you talking about? I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been in a studio in a minute. Okay. Uh, well, uh, that's fair
1: enough. But but the, the bottom line here, basically, is that the two relatively different animals, right? They use the
0: same tools because one thing I've noticed Mm -hmm. in recording studio and now with consoles, there are consoles that will run plugins or you can hook them up to a laptop and run it essentially almost like a DAW, but it's just a mixing interface where you run plugins and you can run whatever plugin suite you're
2: happy to run with. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. It's, Like, uh, what is it called? The profile, the Avid profile. They were the first ones to use, like, outside, like like the iLock, like you guys were talking about. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. You you can put the iLock in, and you can get any Waves program right into that console. But what I've noticed is, especially a lot of young engineers, they overdo it. They're like, I have to have this. I got to have this. I can't mix a show without my eye lock and I need this kind of compressor and I got to have this and this and this. And
0: In other words, they're it, not fast and they can't think on the fly with their ears is what you're exactly. trying to say. Yeah. They're relying so, too much on
2: the gear. Yeah. They have to have this. And if I don't have this, I can't mix. And that's in, in the live sound area is you just got to, I walked into a show with Starship and they had a, I want to say like 19 early eighties Soundcraft Spirit mixing console with outboard gear that was older than me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if PA you know anything I... about Ray, he's a dinosaur. or At least he walks yeah. like one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just walked in and it was a throw and go. Like we walked in just to a, not even a sound check. We just played the show, and I just had to figure it out.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: But but I know a lot of young engineers. They're like, oh no, I couldn't do that. I need I need my profile, and I need or a digico or whatever mixing console they need. Yeah. And so what started. you're saying is
0: these young engineers are starting to buy their own mixing consoles and they travel with them.
2: <laughs> well, it's so cheap now you can. Sure.
1: <laughs> but that that's another thing that that we should probably point out there Jody because one thing that last episode we talked about our must have plugins for our yes. workflow, right? But but of we course. do like to stress the idea that the plugins are nice to have your specialty ones, but you should be able to do anything with what you have in your DAW already. But and course. just like Ray was kind of saying here, that you, if you're used to using a certain plugin, a certain compressor, a certain EQ, if you feel completely lost without that piece of gear, maybe you're not as good at performing the tasks that you might think you are. Because whether it's an EQ or compressor, you should be able to get good results from that. It might not be your, your most comfortable thing, but you should be able to do that just with the gears that are at hand. So I think that's a great parallel from yeah, the live that's, world. It and, and still goes
0: back to our very first episode of know your gear. No matter yeah. what that gear is, get some semblance of how to use it and then be able to think on the fly using it. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I remember i was when i was out with with starship again so much starship on the, uh, on,
0: uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding those
2: guys <laughs> they had a uh, on on a guitar amp we had we had two mics on the guitars and that's a luxury it, uh, isn't it for live no it's <laughs> I, I like two two different mics too yeah of course but then i but then i put a third one in which was the j d x which is a what would you call it it comes out of the, its uh Amp simp- Simulator. Hmm. So you take it out of the uh, speaker output into that, and then from that into the speaker, and then I get the tone straight out of the amplifier. And then one day it broke down, and oh. I was like, I I need that. I can't do a show without it. And Uh-oh. John, the guitar player, he looks at me going, I've never heard a front of house guy say I can't mix without one of those. <laughs> and I, I walked out the front of the house going, yeah, hey, you're right. Yeah changed your perspective right there when you lost your
0: favorite tool
2: yeah but I you know I mean I may do it's just it was like something that I relied on for every guitar solo I just turned that one up because it wasn't a microphone that picked up stage noise it was sure. just a direct it was a direct signal but yeah. uh
0: so I guess well, you consider that a lesson from an artist that says hey this is how you work live damn it
2: pretty much yeah so it's, it's it's just, you got to adapt to the situation. I mean, I've done so many, and Chris, you know this. I've done so many shows with the crappiest gear in the world. You just roll with it. It's-
1: yeah, you just have to, right? Yeah. In your world. I mean, I, I've, I've met you a few times when you've been on tour, and there, sometimes you have really smooth days, and sometimes <laughs> everything that can go wrong goes wrong, right? But you just have to live with it. So yeah, right? have
0: you ever told a band... I'm sorry, but the monitors will not work for you during this gig. And then do they freak out or do they just press on and go anyway? Uh, That's only happened once
2: or twice, maybe. And the result is? They just pressed on and played because they were professionals. Of course. But But of course. Yeah, (laughs) but I remember one time in L.A. and Chris Schuber standing right next to me. When the band came off stage and it started screaming at me when I was mixing monitors. I don't know if you remember that day.
1: I, I do remember that day. I don't want to mention the band, but I, no, I thought that no, was handed, or handled pretty poorly. Yeah. yeah. and uh, Yeah, and, I, and there's one thing on, on a similar note from that, and this is something that, that I guess can be a lesson in if you're the artist in a recording studio. And I remember your answer to this, Ray, because I thought that it was absolutely brilliant because there was an artist that came up and commented on the monitors and said, it sounds like shit. And I said, well, what do you do with that? You answered, I don't know what to do because I don't know what that means. If you tell me there's too much bass or there's a rumble or it's cutting out, now there's a problem for you to, to solve, right? As opposed yeah. to, oh, this sounds like shit. Okay. What do you want me to do with that? I don't know what you're <laughs> yeah. talking about.
0: That's an interesting lesson in terms of monitor mixing and things of like that from an artist standpoint to the engineer and vice versa is wanting to make sure that you're getting the artist the sound they want, but if they tell you shit, it doesn't help. It's
2: not a helpful situation. So. No. And, you know, I've had one artist come up to me and it says, like, it sounds really brown. Is that Obviously. like a
0: metaphor for shit?
2: I, I don't know. I I couldn't tell you.
0: Was that Van and, uh, Halen? Because he was known for brown sound. Yes.
2: <laughs> Br- brown M and M's. Right. Uh, I don't know. I've I've heard so many different. Was it too purple? I don't know, but I I remember Mark, the monitor the guy from Motorhead. He was standing. I was, I was standing next to him, and uh, Lemmy goes hey, Mark, come out here and listen to this. And he's like, no, I ain't going out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, you, it's, like, it's too loud. He's like, come out here and listen to this. And he walks out and he goes, can you hear that noise coming out of my speaker? And Mark goes, no. And he's like, neither can I, so turn the thing up. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Lemmy says, give me some more aces. Yeah. So it was, nice. nice. It's, it's it's things like that. You get to, like... And for anybody who wants to go out and mix monitors for uh, any band, you got to have thick skin. It's Yeah. I was doing, uh, what's her name? Uh, Amanda Palmer from uh, Dress and Dolls. And she did a three-hour show with just her and the piano. And two the
1: channels.
2: vocoder, right? <laughs> no, there was no vocoder. Oh, wow. No. It was just her and two, well, a stereo keyboard and hers, so three channels. And it was a three-hour show. And two hours and 58 minutes into the show, she looks at me and she goes, can I get a little bit more keyboard? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? Like, you're at the end of the... You got one more song and then you're done. That's that's awesome. Was was she polite about it? (laughs) Oh, yeah, she was really nice about it, of course. But it was just the funniest thing ever. She's like... She's been playing for almost three hours, and she's like, just a little bit more. Hmm.
0: Maybe that one song just called for more piano instead of cowbell. Maybe. I don't
2: know. (laughs) I'm not familiar with her material that much.
0: So speaking of all this, do you think that a good front-of-house mixing engineer could also work in the recording environment and be... Just as at home, or is it two totally separate beasts where it's not really a reality?
2: There's not a re- the, you can't. No, no. I tried, and when I was out with uh, with Survivor, we were in the studio in L.A., and I just watched that. Rec- not recording engineer, but the uh, the engineer, the mixer, the, the mixing engineer, and I'm like, I have no idea how you do this. I have no clue, and then and one of the bands that I worked for down in Tampa, they asked me to come into the studio and mix their demo, and I'm sitting there going, "I have no clue. Just, I, I just I'm turning knobs, and it's not doing what I wanted to do, and hmm. it's 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 two different, completely different animals.
1: Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's yeah. an interesting perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, because in, in live sound, it's it's it happens, and if you missed it, you missed it it's It's not coming back again. You can't like rewind the tape and be like ah, let's try that again.
0: You can't I mean, like unless- press the talk back button to the band in their in their monitors and go,
2: Can you just play that back real quick again
1: <laughs> Yeah,
2: I mean unless you're milli vanilli, I guess I don't know oh oh, don't uh, did I say that out loud,
1: apparently yeah. All right, one of the things that we've kind of done here, we have three questions that we'd like to ask everybody. Get ready for some rapid-fire questions here, Ray.
2: Rapid-fire? Rapid. Well, Well, there's
0: only three of them, so
2: we ask, you answer, we
0: ask, you answer, we ask, you answer. So
1: what's your favorite piece of gear that you can't live without? You've already established that, that you can live without just about anything, but what's the favorite piece of gear that makes your world
2: tick? That's an easy one. That's a piece of gear that works. (laughs) Just any old piece of gear that works? It doesn't matter what it is. If it's been bouncing in the back of a trailer overnight from Denver to Seattle, if it still works, it's my favorite piece of gear. (laughs) Good answer.
0: (laughs) Nicely done. (laughs) Good answer. All right. So the second question here is, what is the biggest lesson you've learned doing this live sound stuff?
2: Always ask to get paid. And uh, negotiate your pay rate before you get on the tour bus. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Money. Also,
1: sage advice. Right? <laughs> before yeah. you uh, get it, on tour it,
2: bus. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many times it's like, hey, I'll take the tour. Then you'd be like, oh, we got to pay you 500 bucks. I'm like, no, that's not going to work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, don't don't be or afraid yeah. to ask for your compensation, right? And that's things that you and I have talked about, Jody, like up yeah. front, right before you get in. Don't be afraid to ask about it. You're providing no. a service, so you got to make sure you're compensated accordingly.
0: But of
2: course. Right. And I always ask for your own hotel room. <laughs> if you can get you it. Don't, you don't want to share hotel rooms with three other guys. It's not fun. All
1: right.
0: It depends
2: so, on who those guys are, but I, I would agree with that.
1: Right. Yeah. So you've given a lot of what I, what I like to consider anyway, sage advice here. But what's a piece of advice that you sort of universally give to guys that come up that are sort of new in the industry and are looking for somebody like yourself for for some pointers? What what's the first piece of advice? Let's let's say serious piece of advice that <laughs> that you give to anybody who wants to
2: do this. Well, I mean, the serious advice would be. Just, well, first of all, if you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late, number mm-hmm. one. And then just do your job, do it well to your ability. It doesn't, you, don't have, you don't have to be the best, but if you do the best you can, then people are going to hire you and always be nice and networking. Networking is the number one thing. When you're on a tour with a bunch of other bands, always talk to everybody else. Help help the other bands as much as you can. Because they're going to ask you to come back and be like, hey, can you come work for us? We'll remember you. I got a good friend of mine, Armando. He he was out with Fancy Jana when I was out with Wrath and Poison. And now he's one of the biggest guitar techs in the world because he was the nicest guy in the world. He didn't know anything. He owned a tuner and a I think he had a screwdriver, but that was for it. That'll work for any guitar, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and now he's like he worked with Anthrax and Ace Freely and Megadeth and he that was just great. He he was just so just be, be nice, be on time, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's right. always gonna be someone out there, especially on a bigger tour that will help you like me Like I I helped him and Tom Weber who's a good friend of mine who's poisonous guitar tech and we took Armando on our wings and we were like dude anything you need we'll help you how long ago was that? Uh, 2007
0: oh so it was a while ago
2: Hmm. yeah
1: All right, Ray well I think that's really really good advice and you're a testament to being a good guy because you've been around in the business for a long time and you're a hell of a guy for wanting to do this podcast with us. So thank you so much for doing it. Really, really appreciate it, Jody. Or Jody, Ray. We really appreciate it, Ray.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. I guess I'm now no longer part of this podcast.
2: It's been nice knowing I, you, Jody. See, 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 this is what happens. I just took over. Uh, well, yeah. well done you. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it very much, and I had a lot of fun. Good. Sure. And good, good, with good, that,
0: good. Chris and I will delve into our Friday finds. And Chris, you kick this off. What do you got for us this week?
1: I will kick us off. The last little bit here, I mentioned in the last episode as well. I've been doing a fresh install on a new system. Yes. And one of the plugins that migrated with me that got reinstalled again was Spitfire Labs. Mm. And It's one of those plugins that it's like, wow, I don't use this as much as I should because there's some really, really cool stuff in there. So my Friday find has to be Spitfire Labs. What Um, about you, Jody? What do you got?
0: I'm going to go with something that routes audio within the computer. And generally speaking, sometimes when you're doing things where you're screenshotting and recording what you're doing and then trying to record the audio at the same time, it can be a major pain in the ass. And certain apps are maybe a little too expensive for certain people. So in the modern era of the Mac operating system, there was a application known as Soundflower that would allow you to aggregate devices and Mm -hmm. route sound from any one app to any other app in the system. But with Catalina, that disappeared. And most people were left wondering, what do I do now? Well, the answer to that is Black Hole. Which sounds ominous, but it does the same thing that Soundflower did. And so you go with Black Hole. So that's my Friday find of this week. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool, Jody. So while we've got your attention... We would like to ask you to go to our website and leave us a review at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com forward slash review or just go there and click the review button and you can get there just the same. In addition to that, you can go to the website and sign up for our email list. That'll get you a nice little gift of some free plug-in presets from Chris and some free plugins settings as well from myself. Plus, you'll get weekly reminders about our Tuesday tips, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast that might include people like Ray and just Chris and I babbling on about whatever it is that recording engineers like to babble on about. In addition to that, if you send us an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word live, you'll get something back in your inbox that will make you smile. And if you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to pontificate upon in a future episode, contact us using the contact page at the website and we'll put it in for consideration on a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week.
1: Have a good one, Jody.